The Hurling Pod on OTB Sports. I know you listened to James Cahill's podcast with Will Darren Hall. They asked James who was going to win. He said Galway. Well, why do you think? Because I just really, really want him to win. <laughs> Subscribe to the GA Podcast feed on the OTB Sports app now. OTB's The Hurling Pod with James Cahill and Paul Murphy. Talk craving here in the National We love you! I don't want to leave the people of Warford down, you know, because they're my life, you know. People of Warford are my life, you know, and I, 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 love, I, love, I love my county, you know. We love John Milan! It's almost like they're afraid to kind of mm. go and hurl and yeah. just let themselves express themselves. They're, it's like as if they're nearly afraid to make a mistake, and sometimes you have to make a mistake and just throw off that bit of nervousness and have a go. Yeah, it's pure constipated hurling. Welcome along to episode 20 of the Hurling Pod. Limerick will have the chance to lift the Lee McCarthy for the fourth time in five years in a couple of weeks' time. Super sub David Reedy with three points on the bench, helping John Kiley's side beat Galway by 27 points to 121. Kilkenny now stand in Limerick's way in the final. The Cats ruthlessly efficient in seeing off Clare by 226 to 20 points. TJ Reid, a veteran of the 2007 final when Kilkenny and Limerick last met in the decider, sent over 10 points as the Cats booked their place in a 17th All-Ireland final of the Cody year. And there was a late, late show from Tipperary, which culminated in a Paddy McCormick goal with the last puck of the game, which saw them snatch victory away from Offaly in what was a thrilling All-Ireland minor final at Nolan Park. Episode 20, it is a landmark show for us. James Skell, Paul Murphy here, of course, as they are every week. Lads, how are you getting on? Great, Will. How are you? Terrible. <laughs> ah, no. Here, here we go. Right, we can kick this off straight away. You should not be feeling terrible. And I don't mean this in any kind of patronising way. Galway hurled really well. You should actually be happy, I think, with that Galway performance yesterday. Um, the, yeah, there was there was a lot of kind of people that were concerned that Galway could be getting a hammer. You know, I think when people look at the everyone was doing the reviews pre-game and they were saying there could be a gap until from seven eight points onwards, it could be a demolition job. So I was from from that perspective, I was delighted in the way the Galway produced the performance that they did. And I know we always say in the podcast like that when you when you get defeated and you perform fairly well. You can go away with your head head high, but there's still it's agonising to know that we had we had chances to put away the game. Not I won't say put it away, but to keep ourselves in the game and get our noses in front. We didn't just take those chances. Um, we kind of, I suppose, we digressed a small bit from our or the way we were playing for the first six six minutes. For the last nine minutes, we kind of went lump ball down top of Limerick, which they loved, and uh, Limerick kept playing their pattern in the game. And then David Reid pops up like that's how he he got into the positions he did because they kept moving the ball they did for the for the whole uh, 70 minutes so look disappointing result um, if there's any good way to finish the year get knocked out I would say that's probably it <laughs> you know what I mean besides winning the winning the Ireland uh, and I think there's there's definitely a positive feeling in Galway at the moment as opposed to a negative one I think other teams when they get knocked out there's they can get override by emotion negativity you can start pointing fingers at players or pointing fingers at management but I think from a Galway perspective everyone's kind of looking in the one direction thinking there's a, there's, it bodes well for the future. Is that part of the agony too, James? Level on 10 different occasions during the game, right in the mix coming into the closing stages too. And Galway at times where even if one of the three chances that they poked wide in the closing stages had gone over, it would have been a huge lift. It almost like kind of sucked the energy a bit, those three wides laid on, which then you've got Limerick, you know, popping over freeze at the other end to just extend the lead back out to three points. Yeah. That was right in the melting pot for Galway. It was like, and like we, when you consider we won the, uh, we, we didn't win the turnover battle, but we, we were right in there with the turnover battle. And you were just, in the last kind of 10 minutes, I'm including injury time now, we were kind of crying out for a point off a big play. So I think if you remember on the sidelines down in front of Henry and John, there was a couple of sidelines and Wheeler did a great job turning over Wheeler, don't know who whatnot. And we got a sideline. And we were thinking, right, and then we, we shot it, you know, and it went wide. And that kind of just, that little thing sucks it out of you. And then Evan got a great chance out onto the Cusick side and Evan would be a great shooter, just tailed off the left. And then Tom Mullen got one under the Hogan. So th- there were three wides from the 66 minutes onwards when Conor Whelan got his last point and got always last point really that you're hoping to go over. And then when the gap starts opening up, you know, one point, two points in a game where you're saying they were tied 10 points, the margin, like two points is a huge margin in that kind of game. And then we fin- Jeremy Burns finished off with a free who was extremely important to them under pressurised situations. But yeah, I look, I look at it and I think we, we spoke last week and all the weeks before about our efficiency and I'm looking down here at the numbers and I, I said we just hit 50% with the amount of chances we had and I said that I was I was concerned about the amount of shots Limerick could get but we matched them on shots but just didn't match them on efficiency and when you look back on the game you can't say we were under uh, undue stress put, put onto us by Limerick we got plenty of chances where we were in open space 
you know, and just the, the ball petered off, especially when you consider in the period when Limerick opened up their 6-1 lead, we had four opportunities. You know, we had a, what should probably class as a handy free for the 21, and with three other opportunities that we could have scored, and that would have put a different reflection on the on the scoreboard. But look, I, I'm, I'm clutching a straw trying to point instances or point issues, let's say, from a performance that I, I would say was definitely our best performance of the year, hands down. Everyone played very well. And if you're asking me, did anyone's stock go down? I'd say no. Yeah, Paul... Galway improved in pretty much every metric from the last two games. Their puck out's much better. 74% went to hand. 31 out of 42. Much better variety. Which was an issue going back to the Leinster final. Clearly that's been improved over the last couple of games. Did quite well on the turnovers, as James just mentioned there. Got 1-9 of their own scores coming from turning Limerick over. The one metric which didn't improve from the Leinster final was the shot efficiency. 47 shots, 22 scores. The feeling would be against a Limerick team who put over 61% of their chances that's where Galway fell down again yeah absolutely and it's you know I wouldn't call it clutching a straw there James Hall like if we in fairness Galway did have opportunities here where they could have they could have won the match um, and so much of what they did was really good and they won so many important battles around the pitch as well Um like like you said when they went when Limerick went six points to one up I was thinking this game could be over very quickly and you know, in fairness to Galway, they got themselves slowly back into the game and then they started to find their feet. And what I thought was really interesting, and I know we'll get onto it next week, but like, you know, for any team that was going to play Limerick in a final, um, you were looking at what Galway were doing around the, the middle of the field and where they were actually targeted, where they were getting scores. And they must have got two or three scores there towards the end of the first half. You know, I think Tommy Monaghan got one and a few other lads popped up. And suddenly Limerick, they were asking questions of Limerick that Limerick half back line were wanting to sit back away from them. But Galway were finding this little pocket and were causing problems for them. You know, even in the second half, Park Mannion came out with a few balls there, had a great catch in the second half. Dahi Burke you know, got, to grasp, got to grasp with that full forward line as well. There was just, you know, so many areas. Lads put their hand up in fairness, you know, really gave it a good crack. Um, and it's hard not to look at it and go, well, there's a good few areas here where we actually could have improved. And the shot efficiency, because like I said, the biggest problem is to try and create these opportunities. You wouldn't think the biggest problem is converting them, but it's a pity when you had the opportunities there to actually maybe get two or three or four more scores and actually win the match. That's something that Galway lads would be disappointed for. But look, as I was saying last week, I expected maybe a six or eight point defeat, but it wasn't, never mind it wasn't that, there was a huge chance here that Galway could have won the game. So, look, it's it's a kind of a bittersweet one. They'll take a lot from it, but at the end of the day, they didn't win the game. So, um, but in fairness, to, in fairness to Galway and to Henry, like, they got a huge amount out of the team and they did a lot better than, than the neutral would have expected or a lot of people would have expected. And there's a lot they can take from it and there's a lot they can take from it going forward as well. Yeah, James, when it comes to sharing around the scores, we're doing the Roadshow in Limerick last week, and this was a concern that pretty much the entire panel had, was that there was such a reliance on Conor Whelan to score, to basically carry the scoring thread across that forward line. This time, though, Carl Mannion gets four points, Tom Monaghan four points in play each. Conor Whelan is a quieter game where he only gets two points, but others kind of stepped up around him. A wonderful goal from Concanon as well. Uh, we saw a better variety of scores, at least, which was a big concern pre-game. Yeah, the, the scores didn't come from just specifically freeze, specifically one man, or, or whether it be Conor Cooney from the freeze set or Conor Wheel in, in his corner. They came from kind of all over the pitch, but it was the manner in which they developed the scores that I was really impressed with. You know, they, they moved the ball very well, and if you, if you go back to the first 10 minutes when they win 6-1 down, I just think that Galway, like, obviously when a team plans a setup that they, they do a game plan for, for an opposition, you can never put that into practice until the first 10 minutes. You, know? you never know if it's going to work if it's going to go arseways in the end, until the first five to minutes. And then I, I just think Galway were just kind of adjusting, you know what I mean? And they were struggling to get into positions. After that then, they got into their stride and they did exactly as you said, they got themselves into really good positions and they got shooters in the ball. Like I know Ronan Glennon shoots very well, Tom Monan, you know, he had a very confident display, I'd say, and like still left a couple behind him. Um, Conor Cooney didn't do much from open play, but like he like he was getting on the ball and, and I suppose slinging to the lads beside him. David Burke, I thought was excellent. I thought he got on, he got on the world of the ball, set up an awful lot linked the play very well and then you had our half back line who were doing a great job so you were saying everything was pointing towards you know a solid performance to kind of set us on the right way and we when we started off the second half we hit 1-2 without reply that doesn't happen Limerick you know, that, that, that's a rarity that where you get them for 1-2 it's rare that they actually concede 3 they never concede 4 scores in a row so they always kind of nullify that so that was positive and look I'm here looking at Connor, or Tom Mann on 4 points I wish he got 5 Connor Manning got 4 I wish he got 6 <laughs> do you know what I mean but look at yeah, not everyone's going to score everything do you know what I mean and an error is also 
is, can be classed as a wide as well or a wide can be classed as an error so I can't be pointing at lads and say oh, we should have got a better score efficiency look shit happens right I, from where I stand right now and I know hindsight is a different, is a different story but I'm just really good I'm really, I'm really happy from one sense that the guys put in the performance the type of performance they did and put it up to Limerick in the manner they did because an awful lot of people were doubting them um, and, there, and I tell you this for sure as well there wasn't an awful lot of people in Galway that gave them actual genuine hope you know it was it was pub talk that oh yeah we, we might have a shot but there was a lot of people that were saying we're an awful bother here do you know what I mean so I'm for, for the guys that put up the performance they did kudos to those well Paul Ronan Glennon had another point for 2 minutes and 47 seconds I have never known a Hawkeye decision to take that long to actually overturn a score yeah and you know there was there were so many calls there and there was uh, you know Hawkeye had a, had a big role in this game you know um uh, Connor Whelan there in the first half he had another one there that I think you know of a day I don't think many people would have argued if the umpire just put the hand up and said yeah that's over the bar so there was yeah there was a lot Hawkeye played a huge factor in it, and that's what it's there for as well but uh, that, that length of time you know it can take this thing out of it and can play certainly into Limerick's hands in terms of if, if Galway are, have their backs up take this thing out of the game a small bit the longer it takes there you know you can get your house back in order but uh, yeah it was, a, it was a long bit of time there for Ronan Lennon's one to, to come back one way or another uh, why have we umpires <laughs> why do we have umpires do you know like, why do we use Hawkeye five times a game for the simplest scores like, can I just say the umpires yesterday their position was absolutely shite like they're on the worst angles possible looking for points do you know what I mean so if you're going to have umpires like that don't use them at all just use Hawkeye yeah. <laughs> sorry but, rant over well, <laughs> had to get, had to get out there well scale on the Glennon thing right I was chatting to Mickey Quinlivan on GA late night uh, last night and he was making the point that in some ways it's better that the play proceeds and Hawkeye has a look as happened yesterday as opposed to sometimes he had noticed long stoppages particularly at Semple Stadium where it can kill the flow of a game entirely when it goes to Hawkeye and you're waiting on the pitch and going cold while waiting for a decision to be made but in this case, where it seems like a point is up there for a while, and next thing it gets pulled down, that is a hell of a momentum swinger for you on the pitch if you think that that point was there, but it's taken away nearly three minutes later. It was a killer. It's like the guy who was monitoring Hawkeye tipped off, went down to the toilet, came back and the screen is flashing. <laughs> oh, shit, he says. Like, that's what it felt like. Three minutes had passed and it took a point off us. Now, I will say, listen to me, if I took it off Limerick, I wouldn't be complaining here, but it's just the way the game petered out. But I, look, it was too long. And if you talk about Thurlis or talk about the Gaelic grounds, it's far too long, but it's no. I will say Hawkeye is terribly important when you consider the margins that it, it can close or it can provide. You know, it's, it's extremely important. I think it's a great thing that's brought into the GEA. But I know I have to go back to the umpires. Like you can understand in football, I get football. You know, football is very hard to, to track. Let's say from some of the scores, there, from some of the points they shoot. But Lord God, some of the some of the positions that the, the umpires took up, especially on the Hill 16 side. Fuck's sake! Like. Like, I'm sorry now to rant but they were like they were 10 yards away from the post and in the completely wrong angle you're like what are you doing who's teaching these guys sorry that's I'm just okay. a bit I'm, I'm a bit on edge today okay here's the platform <laughs> for you to unload while yeah I'm sorry the goal section to start Paul to, to give Limerick their credit they find solutions again and in this case Geron Hegarty probably didn't have his best game. Keen Lynch came on, definitely didn't look like he's 100% back to speed yet. Again, uh, Peter Casey didn't have the impact off the bench that we saw from David Reedy, which we can probably talk about as well. But Kyle Hayes steps up and had a remarkably good game yesterday. And they just seemed to find solutions. Even when they didn't play the, at their normal top level yesterday, they were still able to eke out the result. Yeah, and, and uh, I thought the substitutions were, were remarkable in many ways from Limerick. Um, you know, you see Tom Morrissey and Groot Hegarty coming off. If you were to say that, you know, that they weren't coming off for injuries, you know, prior to the game, you're thinking, well, geez, Galway are after obviously getting a handle of these lads, which they did in fairness to him, but they just weren't on ball. But yeah, Kyle Hayes really got on ball, and particularly, you know, the last one obviously was highlighted that he came back. He took up a very defensive position before the free was taken after Reedy was fouled. He went back. I'm mean, obviously thinking, right, this ball is going to go over the bar. We need to, we need to defend this from a goal, fair enough. But yeah, he got on vital ball at really important times. Um, I think it was always going to be hard for Keane Lynch to come straight back into an All Ireland semi final, and as good as he is, but and just find himself on ball like that's very hard for a player to get back into that. He's been out for quite a while. I'm surprised that Peter Casey came on because I just thought with a cruciate injury, um, obviously he's got a lot of work done in in let's say inside behind closed doors with Limerick. But you know, again. 
it's a, it's a fair testament to the man that they put them on in the semi-final as his first match back for Limerick after doing a cruciate. So, look, if they, they kind of rolled the dice with one or two lads in the hope to get on ball. You know, Keane Lynch did get on one or two balls. I think he got on one ball anyway. Um, you know, and, and others didn't gain traction. But, I mean, um, Reedy's introduction, I mean, that was inspired. And, and when, you, when you look back, you only need one or two of those introductions to really work like. But taking off four, you're starting forwards. It's a fair statement to make, um, but it worked for him. And those are the big calls that have to be made. And I, I, again, you know, I give credit to Kylie and Kinnark that they obviously made the calls. It wasn't about reputations, about who was getting on the ball at the time in the game and, and what um, what switches would suit the game best. And when you look back and you see where Reedy actually started picking up ball, he came really deep looking for the ball and then kind of just straight up through the middle of Galway. Like So he just brought something a little bit different that maybe wasn't overly happening during the game that maybe one or two other players weren't providing maybe a few other players were sitting further up the pitch but you know he got on ball he got three points really important and uh, yeah look huge calls to be made but I'm sure look it's great for the Limerick fans and Limerick team as well to see now that that bubble has burst now Keane Lynch is back on the pitch Peter Casey's Peter Casey's back there as well so the starting 15 for Limerick the next day could be could be very interesting um, Paul, when it comes to Reedy, we were talking to Joe Quaid about him last week, about the season he had playing Christy Ring hurling with Kildare. Here we are now where he becomes such an important impact sub for this Limerick team. I think I was reading earlier, in the last 12 games that he's been sprung from the bench, he has scored on 10 of those occasions. And in the case of yesterday, he puts over three points and he won a free late on in the game, which led to a score too. So he's got a direct contribution in four points at a time when the game is very much in the balance. That's incredibly helpful to be able to bring that off your bench. Yeah, yeah, it's it's hugely helpful and just when you know a player is going to be able to get on ball, he's going to be involved, he's not going to find himself lost or he's trying to find his feet. You know, he he had a he had a window there to come on and have an impact and he had a huge impact and it's tough, you know, to find your role in that forward line for Limerick is very tough and even the next day it's going to be tougher again because you know, you have two more players that are going to enter into that equation, but in fairness, it's brilliant for Limerick if Reedy is to be on the bench that they know if they call on him he will have an impact most likely on the game he's indicated in every single game really that when he comes on he has an impact and at really important times like an All-Ireland semi-final you know it's different from coming on in the semi-final of a league or something like that like he came on in a really important game there were, you know a grain of rice would have tipped the balance here and he came on like you said it was involved in four scores scored three really important free at the end and the free as well in particular like you know went got fouled for a ball and allowed Limerick just to kind of calm it down a small bit restructure and you know that was really I suppose something that you know Limerick ideally want that they want a little period where they can just settle the ship and I suppose stop Galway coming back at them and you know they'll be delighted at at, at his performance when he came on so you know, when Limerick in an All-Ireland final now, they have, you know, a wealth of lads that they can play, that they can start. But knowing that you have even more lads come off the bench that will have an impact on the game, particularly like Reedy, it, it's huge for Limerick. James, I'll give you a first shout on the questions we've got in around Keane Lynch. Uh, firstly, Brendan Mulcahy's point. Uh, was it the pace of the game when he came on or did Keane Lynch not look right when he came on during the game? What was your take on Ooh. Lynch's impact or maybe lack of impact in the game first? That, that's, a, that's a small bit unfair to say he didn't look right. You know, we're asking him. We, we spoke last week about the pitch, getting to the pitch of a game and when you have players, that's why when Paul said about the Peter Casey one, this makes more sense. When you have lads who came through, let's say, if it's given campaign onto a league, into the first half of the championship and so on, they're getting to the pitch of it all the time. And so we, if they have a small injury, they can stay at the pitch. But like from Peter Casey's perspective, he'd a long way to go, so I was surprised to see him come on. Keen Lynch, I just think it's the nature of the game. Like you, you can't expect absolute fireworks off the man. You can't expect him to pick up his All Ireland form, let's say from from the Cork game ten months ago, straight into the game the last day and get, get to the pitch of the game immediately. You know, he's probably played some training games, some in house games that'll be at a certain level, a certain percentage, but nothing will replicate the heat of Championship in the stressful environment like he had yesterday. So, like, I don't think it's a bit. I just think it's a small bit of sharpness. That's all. So I think the next day he's be better, and if I know that the less the next day is the last day, but if, if the day after that he gets better and so on, it's just I just think it's repetition. When you get to this stage of the of the championship, and the more time you get, minutes you get, repetition at 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 a top level competition, top level opposition like that, the more you you you'll uh, you'll you'll thrive. That's it. It was just a question. It was just a situation whereby Keane has been out, didn't get to the pitch of the game. That's all. Does he come on a bit for the extra two-week break? I mean, there's probably an argument to say maybe in years gone by, it might have suited Limerick better with these players coming back to have a longer break between the semi-final and the final. But do you expect Lynch to be in kind of top condition for the final now? I, I think I expect I, I certainly expect him to to come off yesterday feeling better. 
Um, I, I wonder would he, have, would he have tested injury as much as yesterday because again yesterday is full exertion you're operating at a level that's, that can be classified as 100% of your, your effort so I think even for him to have confidence to know that the injury is healed that he's 100% right from a physical perspective and when you can park the physical side of it you can then focus on just the sharpness the mental side of it so yeah I expect him to be better like I, I watched him very very closely in the warm up because he was down kind of where I was and he was moving very freely touches were good so I just think another couple of weeks for that man and he'd be like <laughs> We're talking about again one of the one of the, the the best hurler in the country, one of the best we've we've seen. So and I, I I for one definitely won't question him. I I'd be backing him to be to be starting the Ireland final and to produce a performance. Paul, a follow up to that then would be Keane Lynch and the role he's likely to play in the final. There's an argument maybe to be had that you keep Kyle Hayes in the half forward line around the number eleven position and bring Keane Lynch back out to midfield. Is that something that Kylie might consider? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He might consider it because again, you know, you want when we talked individually of Kyle Hayes, where do you play him? For me, anyway, you play him further out the pitch. I, I don't like seeing Kyle Hayes in at full forward. I like seeing Kyle Hayes running onto ball. I like seeing him in around the half back line coming forward. I don't see we'll see him back as far as the half back line. But certainly, like you know, I think there's a better chance of Keane Lynch dropping into midfield and Kyle Hayes starting at centre forward. Um, I think what Limerick will look at will be more along the lines of. Like Richie Reid got on 24 possessions there um, over the weekend. Not likely to get on 24 now against Limerick, but similar enough to Park Welch, let's say, going in to potentially mark John Conlon, you nearly want to distract the centre-back by having someone so dangerous there and so influential that potentially they'll be so preoccupied with keeping an eye on him that maybe they won't get on as many balls. So Keen Lynch, for me, is that player. Not to say Kyle Hayes isn't, but Keen Lynch is well able to find himself on ball. He's that the lad that pulled the, pulls the strings for that Limerick forward line and pops play off, or pops passes off for other lads to score and pops up with his own few scores. Kyle Hayes kind of, I suppose, gets more involved, comes on, gets his own ball and tries to take on his own score. He's a bit more of a, I suppose, dynamic player that way. So I just think if Keen Lynch serves a few different purposes playing centre forward but he can do that from midfield as well so it's a hard one to call but why you take either of the two lads out of midfield with Limerick I don't see why because they get through an enormous amount of work as well so um, I, I think if Keen if Keen Lynch does play and I think he will start the final I think they do start him at centre forward I think they leave the midfield where it is and I think they maybe move around Kyle Hayes I think they might you know unfortunately the likes of Graham Mulcahy might lose out he seems like the likely lad who might lose out and they might start Kyle Hayes in corner forward and then tell him, listen, you go and hurl where you want to hurl. Similar enough to like what Brian would have said to Owen Larkin years ago, go where you want to go, you're an intelligent player, fire away. And I think that's the role Kyle Hayes might get. And I might just, again, ask a question of the Kilkenny cornerbacks that, do you go with him, do you stay? You kind of have to go with him. So I think that's what they'll do, as opposed to try and fit Kyle Hayes somewhere into or, or Keane Lynch into a midfield area. I just think you drop Keane Lynch back in centre forward and then, find, I suppose, give a role then to Kyle Hayes and maybe roaming out from corner forward. Skell, where would you be deploying him then? I, I don't disagree with Morph at all. I do the exact same thing. Uh, Kyle Hayes does a couple of things. He's a, he is a supreme athlete. Like, if you watch the strides of him, like he's like a horse, the way he moves so fast, you know, and, and he's got great skills. So he can pop up in areas, he can shoot, he can run at you. So I would deploy him in an area wherever he feels free. You know, I do the same thing. I'd put 15 on his back and say, just go wherever you want. Stay, stay inside, let's say, our, our own 45 outside and do what you want. And then leave Galan and Flanagan inside. And it just poses a question also to Kilkenny, who goes on Hayes? Like, you know, does Mikey Butler go on Hayes? Does Mikey Butler go on Lynch? Does he go on Galan? You know, again, we, we question the matchups, like, so... Like Michael Butler, I know, did a great job in Kelly again, but he's, he's, he's a fair animal now. <laughs> he's hard to stop. So I agree with Murph there. Unfortunately for, for Mulcahy, he does nothing wrong. He works fierce well. He fits well in their system, in the Limerick system. Like they're, they're, not a, they're not a worse system because he's playing. It's just that you're, you, you can't leave out Keane Lynch for reasons that we stated a, n- a number, number of times. And then Kyle Hayes, I think the backs unit is well set. So there's no, there's no reason to disrupt that because they've got a really good unit there. So leave it alone. And then, as Murph said, the midfield is looking good too. So... Just put Kyle Hayes wherever he wants to go and unfortunately Mould has to, has to drop out. Well look, on Mikey Butler, tweet of the weekend that I saw came from Colin Delaney who said that Tony Kelly probably woke up with Mikey Butler in the bed beside him on Sunday morning such as the job that he did him on Saturday at Crow Park. Murph, to give you credit, you I called it. <laughs> you said that Mikey Butler was going to follow Tony Kelly around. A complete and utter lockdown job and Clare's most important player struggled to get into the game and any time the ball came near him, Mikey Butler was right there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, like I tipped him to mark him, but like I gave him the leeway of that Tony Kelly had possibly scored three points from player four points, and that's a good job. But to hold him completely scoreless, never mind that, um, he went up, Mikey Butler went up, 
right corner forward at one stage and had a pop at a point and it was right behind it where it was and he, he wasn't far away from it so I said if he came out of it scoring a point as well it would have been remarkable but yeah just an incredible job and like for me it's a big claim but I was thinking about it coming out and I know I've been I suppose praising Mikey Butler but like I came away from Crow Park the other day going how many teams have tried to deploy one player on Tony Kelly and just keep nullify him and no team has managed it and Kilkenny have that player on Mikey Butler for me you know I think at the moment the full back line if you're going picking an all-star team is, is one of the hardest at the moment with the calibre of players there particularly because you have Sean Finn and these lads now okay Rory Hayes over the last while has drifted a small bit um, from his form at the start of the year but in terms of individual players at the moment Mikey Butler is there with Sean Finn for me in terms of when if you're picking an all-star team how do you leave out the man that kept a player that was in form for hurler the year one game nearly nullifies it and just an incredible performance I was walking away saying that fella could be the right cornerback for the all-star team this year now again the final will determine a lot but look as a standalone performance it was absolutely remarkable and it was a remarkable platform as well for Kilkenny to go forward I think Kilkenny would have won this game anyway even if Tony Kelly popped up for four or five points that was just the nature of the game but for Mikey Butler in his debut season to go out and put in that performance against Tony Kelly was just in fairness he deserves all the credit and he's getting all the credit at the moment it's, it, was, it was a great performance yeah James, one seventeen to six points was at half time for Kilkenny in that game. It was dead by the break, uh, thanks to Keown's goal just before half time too. Uh, but I think probably for those who are maybe scratching their head from a Clare perspective about the weekend, uh, Ron Holleran probably sums it up in his question here: Why did Clare continue to go long over and over and over again? This to me seemed like craziness. Like Clare have been able to mix it up quite a bit during the year. They like to run the ball between the lines. Against the Kilkenny team who probably relish high ball coming in, like Hugh Lawler came out with so much ball at the weekend. Yeah. Why did Clare continue to go so direct when it wasn't working? Well, sure. Like high ball into the Kilkenny full back line is like milk to a cat. You know, like you'd wonder why. Uh, okay, try it for the first few minutes. And remember I was saying last week, go on 10 minute intervals. Try it for the first two minutes if it doesn't work, right, fine, scratch that, go to plan B. But they kept at it and at it and at it. And we talk about statistics, and I was saying if you look at all the. This is the answer to your question now. Look at all the statistics and just, just okay, leave out the score, right? But all the numbers, like the clear, clear developed, very good, like very good per quarter retention, very good turnover retention, uh, very low number of frees conceded, an awful lot of shots, right? But what stats don't measure, and this is the reason why I think that is leadership, like leadership and cohesiveness. They're the two words I'm thinking of. And you can't, it's hard to actually quantify the loss of John Conlon in, in, for, for a number of reasons, right? But leadership specifically, like, if you've got a Declan Hannon there, or a Parik Mannion, or a TJ Reid, that game plan has changed after 10 minutes. Like, there's no lad pumping that ball over and over and over again, trying to expect a different... That's insanity. That's trying to do the same thing over and, and trying to expect a different result. And just Kilkenny lapped it up. Like, we talk about Galway's shot, shot range or shot efficiency. Claire did 38%. Like, that must be... I, I mean this respectfully now. That must be one of the lowest efficiency rates for scoring ever in the semi-final. And so much of that came down, James, to poor shot selection too. Yeah. Even very early in the game, they were just shooting from everywhere. From everywhere. And I was wondering why had they go- I wrote down a question in just in my notes. Why are Clare going away from what they produced all year? They produced a high energy running game with lads running left, right and centre. They're half-back line attacking, energy all over the place. Like anyone could shoot up and score from numbers 5 to 12 on their back. And that just didn't seem to happen at all. Now, that's credit goes to Kinney also. But I'm, I'm, if I'm assessing specifically Clare's performance... And like adaptability, they didn't adapt one bit at all. Even the subs that came in, they kept shooting from the most ridiculous ranges, even when there was 10, 11 points in the difference. And that just sucks the life out of a team. And it sucks. The, and I, and I, I, I'm a big fan of Brian Owen. I keep saying that. And I'm a big fan of his management team also. But I have to wonder, why wasn't the message gone onto the pitch to stop applying that type of game plan? Go to a different one. Go shorter. Bring out Tony Kelly. We've seen Tony Kelly... Uh, in the two games against Limerick all over the place where he'd, he'd pop up and he's on 21 he's on 45 etc that didn't happen you know the last day he, it's like he was banished to the right to the right corner forward position to say or even not, not to pass the, 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 the Kini 45 so I'm just wondering why did they go away so much from what they produced all year that got them to the position they're in and actually put them into the favours tag for this game and th- they'll be ruined that now big time but I, to answer your question it's one, one word Will one word leadership whether it's on the pitch or off the pitch, that's why they kept doing what they were doing. Dare Back I suggest, Murph, that within the game too, Adrian Mullen produced the type of performance that we probably would have expected from Tony Kelly, where he was all action, he was very efficient with his shooting, he was turning over the ball continually, hooks and blocks. Like I was so, so impressed with how he played. The Ballyhale players played well in general. Um, it was yeah. a Ballyhale-driven, probably midfield and forward line, but Adrian Mullen was incredible. 
Yeah, he was incredible. And what typified his performance for me was, you know, in the first half there, he picked up an ankle injury at some stage. Straight away, he was back up. TJ got a ball, popped it off to him. I think it was his third point maybe at that stage. But towards the end, he was he seemed to be over on the right-hand side for most of the most of the first half, and he was up and down that channel. I think the last ball he held in his hand in the first half was in the left corner back position. He came running down, saw the danger, was tracking back. The ball broke out into the left corner back position, took a hand pass and worked the ball back up the pitch. And I was going... I, I was just baffled like because I was sitting there with Oshin Langan and I was going he was out of right half forward a minute ago like and, and now he's here he just seems to be like he's playing with so much freedom at the moment I think Brian understands that as well that you give you give the likes of Adrian Mullen a bit of direction but let him hurl instinctively when he gets onto the pitch because that's what he does best he just reads the game so well but it's it, you know every every so often these players kind of come along that you know they're they're brilliant at scoring and, and getting you know getting their few points in a game but then you maybe can question them tra- tracking back and doing a few different things. Adrian Mullen just, whether you have the ball or whether you don't have the ball, he's involved. He just get, gets around the pitch, gets in a little flick, gets in a hook, and then goes, right, how can I support this play? Gets up, and he just looks so at ease moving around the pitch. But, um, you know, five points was just, that's a savage performance. You know, from a lad who started at midfield but kind of seemed like he was in around half forward for quite a bit of it. Um, you know, he just, he had a great, great performance. And all the Balahale lads, really, I think it was about 20, 25 minutes in, I think only one person other than a Balahale player had scored at that stage. There was a great cohesiveness there. Whether it was chance or whatever it was, I don't know, but they had a big influence in the first half. But uh, no, for me, Adrian Mullen, after, like again, I think he just brought it to a new level for his own individual performances. This was a, this was a landmark one for Adrian. And uh, he's, just, he's just in great form. And for all Kilkenny sports at the moment, it's, it's brilliant to have another fella there that you can know consistently day in day out will just put into these performances and it's Kilkenny performances go Murph Skell had tweeted at half time to say the demolition that Kilkenny put in was right up there probably with any of their performances this has to rank right up there with anything that's happened in the Cody era that first half performance yeah it was it was again incredible performance um, look again we have, we have to you know, talk about the elephant in the room here. Like, just Clare weren't at the races either. Like, Kenny can only play what's in front of them. But I think whatever flicker of a chance, you know, Clare had in terms of a little bit of a, a flame that might have been burning there in the forward line, like, Kenny just stifled them out. Kenny's energy in defence was enormous. They just fought so hard for every ball. You think of Richie Reid going back, getting a block in, and, and they turn over the ball, goes up the other end, Mossy Keown gets a goal. Um, um, What's name? Hugh Lawler came out like that. That catch from Hugh Lawler, where he just seemed to rise above everyone, caught it and drove out. Like no more than Clare playing that long ball in, and never mind the Kilkenny player winning it. When a Kilkenny player comes out with a ball like that, it lifts the whole team. That you come out and you catch a ball and drive the whole thing on. But their defence, I just thought, were really good and something. We 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 talked about the Wexford match a few weeks ago and how they only played one dimensionally. When you look at how they performed at the weekend, every time they got a ball. They just they were so calm on it. They popped it out. You know, even if there was a clear person coming in, they'd nearly bring it into contact and pop the ball out around the clear player. And then Paddy Deegan might get it. He'd look up the line, and you know he, he was taking his time on the ball. Have a look. Might have someone off the shoulder. Pops it again. There always seemed to be a player there that Kilkenny could use. But then likewise, they changed it up. They struck a few long balls in because they kept the clear team honest. Clare had to come up. They had to go and tackle them because Kilkenny were running the ball. But then after a few times of running the ball they'd strike one long because all the space was inside in the Clare back line because they just kept Clare so honest all over the pitch. So as the performances go, it was an incredible performance. Nobody could have called something like that. I think it was 14 points at half time in the difference. Nobody could have called that. Um, and as, look, a, a part of that was down to Clare's performance. Um, but you have to give credit to Kilkenny. They were just so... They were so... Um, they, like they, they were just so savage, they were so ruthless. ruthless. Yeah, they're like ravenous. If, if, if you look at like even at the other match there, when when Limerick went six points to one up against Galway, you know there's potential there every so often for Limerick maybe just to ease off the gas a little bit. Now in a very small bit, and it still takes a team to come back into it. But Kenny didn't wait to see what Clare were doing at any stage here. They just they just barreled through Clare, and like even at that the last minute of the first half, where Mossy Keown is still going for goal. Kenny are going for goal at this stage and they're up by 11 points. Like, it was just the attitude of them. They didn't care what the scoreboard was. It was just, next ball, what are we doing? Next ball, we're going again. So that's what I was so delighted with and it was just, you know, it was just a savage performance all around from Kenny. James, it seemed like Kilkenny are maybe just getting that evolution right I think that's what Park Mark said uh, on OTBM about this he feels like they've been evolving particularly as the year has gone on 
the short game didn't exactly click with some of the main players missing when we go back to yeah. the game against Tipperary at Semple Stadium. A very direct and continual direct approach against Wexford didn't quite work. But the last couple of games, Kilkenny are starting to just settle a little bit. It seems that they've got the team set as a 15 and the style now has a bit of variety to it. And maybe that was just basically a work in progress we were looking at earlier this year. Yeah, I, I do agree. And to be honest, I would have said probably Kilkenny would have been the last of the big teams to kind of formulate that game plan where they can go short and they can go long. But now they've nailed it. It's, it looks like they've nailed it now. Certainly last Saturday, all evidence points to them that they headed down to a tee. And even from a panel perspective, whoever comes in contributes very well. Case in point, um, Keane Kenny, Wally Walsh. First of all, bring on Wally Walsh. Mm-hmm. Uh, just after <laughs> Martin got the goal and taking him off. That wouldn't happen in any other county. I guarantee you that wouldn't happen in any other county. Wally Walsh would not be coming on there after a man scores a goal. But alas, it happens in the Cody, the camp, let's say. So Wally comes on, takes a great pull, and the next thing, Keane Kinney is going forward. I just think they've, they've mixed it well. Um, in terms of their attitude, it's very hard for me to, and how I'm going to say this, but their one-to-one mentality is deadly, if that, if that makes sense. Like, so it's like a willingness, like it's me versus you, and I'm going to beat you. And I, I don't know how, how you measure that, probably just by winning the ball, obviously, but, but like... That was just the word I used more for ravenous. The backs, Jesus. And then when when they win the ball, the go forward attitude. Like twice, Hugh Lawler passed out Richie Reed on the Hogan side, and Richie Reed gave him the ball. This is your fullback, but he yeah. passed him out. So that was the go forward attitude that Kilkenny had adapted after after the one to one mentality of winning the ball, whether it be high or low, just ravenous like. And I love these clips that your man puts up. What's his name? Ray Boyne. Ray Boyne, yeah. Ray Boyne puts up these clips at the odd time. They're great. Like, they're super. But he did like a collage of clips whereby the Kilkenny defence are defeating the Clare forwards. And it's all on the ground and it's just bodies in, get the ball and they're all turned and gone the same direction. You know, it's just, it's great to see from a, I'd say from a management perspective, from a supporter perspective, an ex-player, it's what you want off your team. And that all culminates into your question. Like, well, they've, they have now adapted to the, the modern contemporary style of hurling, if you want to call it that. And they can mix the long, as we've seen, flipping TJ, pulling, pulling ball out of the sky all day long, and they can go short. And that's what you're on about. That's, that's all you want a team to do is to keep the opposition honest. So you don't want to be one-dimensional, again, the Wexford game, whereby they're expecting. They know what you're going to do. Clear no answer. They didn't know what they were going to do the last day. If they went short, it was gone long. If they went long, it was gone short, and so on. Just It was a very, very all-round performance. And, you know, clean sheet from the backs. No, no, no real trouble back there. You know, cleaned out the clear forwards. So I think there's an awful lot to be happy with. There's an awful lot to be happy with from a clean perspective. Well, given that Canning is retired, Callanan was out with injury this year. TJ Reid has been representing the class of '87 and representing them very well this season, Murphy. '88. Is it '88 for him? No, he's, no, he's '87. He's December. He's '35. He's '35 later this year. Yeah. Yeah, he's December '87. Yeah. So. He's into his 35th year. Keeps himself obviously in very good niche because he's got his own gym, mm. which probably helps along the way. Yeah. Not too many 35-year-olds <laughs> put in a performance. Probably helps, yeah, yeah. Probably, <laughs> probably helps. <laughs> uh, put in a performance like he did at the weekend. Uh, quite aside from how well he hit his freeze, which were helpful too, TJ Reid was superb. Yeah, he was inc- like it's just incredible the performances he puts in. Um, and like you said, a lot of that is a testament to the man. Like he's not... Um, this genetic freak in, in the ways of that his body just ma- stays maintained itself he puts in a lot of work in terms of keeping himself on the road keeping himself going like he's so you know physically fit so strong he's so mobile you know he's just so he, he's kept himself in such great condition um, which that takes years you can't just decide when you're 33 oh wait I, I just have to look after myself here It's it's been years and years of work for TJ to do that um, I think Christy O'Connor had an article there today which I found incredible that out of TJ taking 20 frees from the last, I think from Leinster final and the semi-final, he scored 19 out of 20. But the 20th one was the one where Hawkeye returned no data. Like, so it could have even been 20 out of 20. Like, from frees, that's remarkable. And when you see, you know, we were talking about the Galway match there and, um, you know, Conor Cooney on frees and, and Tony Kelly maybe hitting a few. And to, to have a free taker that you know stepping in, that's probably going to hit, you know, 10 out of 10, probably going to hit 15, whatever it's going to be. That's huge for Kenny, but then you see the, the, the threat he still poses. I think he plucked three uh, fairly significant balls out of the sky the other day, and just again, like you said, Ray Boyne had him up. A few of the slow motions are just, you know, the man he's marking is all over him. He just keeps the eye on the ball the whole way. All he needs is room enough for his hand to get to it, and that's it. Um, and the score he set up for Adrian Mullen as well, again, just plucking a ball from the sky. But you look at the score he got then when O'Murphy saved it. I think it was around the 65th or so a minute. 
Owen Murphy save it, Kenny Walker up the pitch, I think Billy Ryan gets it, and TJ has drifted. We just talk about these players who just drift, and their man isn't looking at them, do a loop and kind of a run, ask a question, and come back at an angle that by the time your man, your player has copped you, you're now running at an angle that he has to change the direction and change his own momentum. It's too late then, he just caught the ball, loads of space, popped it over. It was just such an incredible performance. And the thing about him as well, if you look back at one or two of the scores, when he gets the ball, a lot of players actually stand off him because they're afraid when they commit to him that he'll sidestep you or he'll just go around you or he'll push you or he'll create a bit of space so you actually see TJ has a second to just stand have a little look see what he's going to do and he's earned that extra yard because his players know he's so dangerous but look like you said 35 later this year very few lads in this day and age would be capable of putting in those 70 minute performances like TJ yeah um, James Scal this one comes to you from Paul Barry 1212 can Scahill now legitimate, legitimately even leave Tony Kelly out of his top five after he pulled his Invisible Man act on Saturday? I was right all along, wasn't it? <laughs> the sage here who knew from the start. Go on. Is this, is this like the stop clock being right twice a day? Is it like it just no, had, had eventually come full circle? No, no, no. Me. One swallow doesn't make a summer and certainly one bad performance does not discount uh, what no. Tony Kelly has produced all summer. Not an ocean. Um, he's, been, he's been brilliant. He'll still get his all-star. I don't think he'll get his hurler of the year, to be honest. Um, but he's still definitely a top, top player. One bad performance. Again, look at, look at like, Worf, you touched on earlier on, uh, Garrett Hegarty, hurler of the year previous to say, taking off yesterday after scoring a point. These things happen. You know, yeah. good players, great players have the odd bad performance. Like, TJ had one against Galway earlier on in the, in the, in the group game. Do you know what I mean? Look what he produced in, on Saturday. So, listen to me, that's, I, uh, I, no, I cannot say Tony Kelly is not in my top five for that reason. <laughs> He deserves to be there. Not that he needs our defending here, but the other thing about this as well, Paul, is that it didn't click for any of the Clare forwards. They got one point from play from their starting inside forward line. Both Galvin and Duggan got the hook reasonably early within the game. A lot of that sounds to the delivery that was coming in, but really none of the Clare forwards had a great game. No, none of them had a great game. And look, Tony Kelly's just one of these players that um, he's going to be highlighted any day he goes out. Um, You know, a marginally... Perform, a marginal poor performance it will be highlighted even more with Tony Kelly um, it, it didn't click for any of the forwards like Shane O'Donnell came away with four points all the same Like which in fairness like you kind of forget because he was just kind of drifting through the game and he came propped up but I think the last three in the second half game was kind of over but um, no it didn't click for any of them the whole system just didn't work the clear forwards were working as individuals really and that's not simple to do and when Tony Kelly is being man-marked by Mikey Butler who was just completely up for it Mikey Butler had one job stop Tony Kelly playing it's very hard for Tony Kelly when he's not being fed any sort of good ball when he has no real platform to work off so I look I completely agree with James there it's one game you know it's just unfortunate for Tony Kelly this is the last game he plays this year so that's you know a little bit what people remember but I'd agree you look at nearly any other player to a man this year they've all had games where they're a little bit off the boil whether it's in the league whether it's in the round robin phase whatever but they're forgotten about if you get to play one or two more games but uh, like Tony Kelly would be in my top five absolutely and this performance from the Clare forwards you know nobody else covered themselves in glory either so you can't be particularly hard on Tony Kelly for this James what about this achievement for Brian Cody then because we asked Murph continually about Cody so let's get your take on it 17 All-Ireland Finals could potentially lift the Lee McCarthy as a manager for the 12th time if they were to win in two weeks' time. He's now managed a father and a son as I'm well. I'm which just him. goes to show how long his tenure is. <laughs> I'm sick of him. A father and a son, remind me. Yeah. DJ Carey's son. Oh, and Mike, Michael. Yeah. Michael here, yeah. Um, like, I think you could go around the country and go to every Hurling County in the place and there wouldn't be enough words or people come together to, to kind of honour what he's done in the game and I think John Kiley said it in his interview after the game yesterday that uh, it'll never be it'll never, first of all it'll never be surpassed but it won't even be matched it can't be matched it's just it's a, it's a great record it's a testament to his longevity and also the players he's, he's, he's had a hand in producing and what they've produced themselves on the pitch that's a, that's a big thing so he didn't do it by himself I put it that way he did it with great people around him uh, on and off the pitch but uh, credit to him look at and I think and they're in with a great shout like they've, they've produced a performance that said that was definitely the performance of the weekend so they've no reason and uh, Jackie said it during the week as well they won't fear uh, Limerick at all I'd say and this, they'll bring the Kenny attitude which is a, I'd say a big reason why he's going to be 17th, 17th Ireland and if they win Skell is this the most impressive victory of his tenure is this the mo- that's a good question um, I won't so the first one or two are Ireland you kind of you leave them alone aside, aside probably from when you talk about meaningful to him, he'd probably point back to the first one or whatever. Do you know what I mean? But 
is this the most impressive? It has to be. It has to be because if you go back at the start of the year, I don't think anybody, myself inclusive, would have had them in the top four or five. You know what I mean? So if they come through Leinster when I didn't have them as favourites, and then they come through a clear semi-final when I didn't have them as favourites, and then they go through the final where I don't put them as favourites and beat Limerick, that would be probably, in my view, their best learned ever. They're, I won't say their hardest earned, but their, their best production would, I think, would have been this year. Paul, would you agree with that? I mean, 2015 was the last time that Kilkenny have won the All-Ireland Championship. Uh, 2019 was kind of towards part of the rebuild from those who had retired after that team. Then there's been new players filtered in over the last three seasons too, so it's been very much in flux since then. Is that right up there for everything that Cody has done if they win in two weeks? Yeah, it probably is. Well, it has to be up there anyway, whether it's his, his greatest one or not, you'd have to ask him that. But certainly... Okay, hang on a second now. Mm. I've, just, I've, answered, I've, asked, I've answered the question as why it would be his greatest one. Can you tell yeah, me why it wouldn't be? What, this, yeah. What's the other one? What's the other one? Well, no, like I'd, I'd be leaning more towards yeah that it is. That's <laughs> if I was, no, <laughs> I was hoping you keep the go against me. <laughs> no, 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 no. Jesus, not no. If you let me finish your sentence again, <laughs> no, I'd agree with you. Like I was, I was just going to say, even from the from from the the round robin phase now, like you know, having to come through that, having come through a lot of matches, you know, really use a full panel, um, and the matches coming thick and fast adjusting your game not a lot of time to adjust your game let's say the Wexford match you know not a lot of time to turn around and have your ship in order for the Galway match after the Galway match then like you know again still people were asking a few questions over them go in against a hotly tipped Clare team and, and pulverise them and now go in to to the All-Ireland final still tipping away as underdogs despite what John Kiley was kind of saying after the game he was trying to, trying his best even though they're going for three in a row to pay Uncle Kenny as, as the favourites but it was complete and utter Yeramur I was just oh, the ball on the way home I, I, enjoy, I enjoyed it to be honest yeah. I thought it was brilliant because I'd say he must have been kind of laughing like you can't go for three in a row and try and paint the other team as, as the favourites but yeah, only anyway. in 15 games yeah 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 but no look in, in terms of Brian's team it, it definitely has to be up there it probably is his greatest achievement but the reason I kind of hesitate to say it is because my stance on this team is that this is a really good team and the problem with teams that have went before it is that because there were so many abundance of medals in that team I think people have been harsher on this team in terms of saying are they a good team has he got the players he does have the players to win an All-Ireland there and this proves that he's in the region of winning an All-Ireland with this team I would have always just disagreed with people in saying that he doesn't have the players he does have the players and the players are there well, like, when you look around the pitch the last three young hurlers of the year are inside the forward line right? granted on Cody won two of those you know you talk about TJ Reid Parik Welch it, um, you know the, the, looking through the rest of the team there as well like there's savage hurlers like Mikey Butler and Huey Lawler putting their hands up like Owen, Co- or Owen Murphy Jesus you, you love Mikey Butler I do love him <laughs> you love him no but I'm just like this is they have great players around the team so I, I, the reason I would say it's a great achievement is just where the modern game is at the moment the quick turnaround the round robin phase all this there's, it, it is marginally tougher now at the moment I think to go and have a crack and win in All-Ireland and you know th- there's a good spread in the field there as well in terms of teams that are competing so if he does go and win it against this great Limerick team it probably is his greatest achievement uh, On the Mikey Butler point by the way yeah. I decided to stick up a tweet just kind of going back to something we talked about <laughs> I should have copyrighted that tweet as well <laughs> You should have copyrighted it yeah. I stuck up you know used to carry the water and carry the hurls around for the team and what happens when I wake up my mentions are destroyed with Munster people primarily saying hurly exclamation mark or hurly and yeah. it's not a hurl you can't call it a hurl I, I, I tell you I've never seen that debate reopen as much three of us are like Skell we may as well count you as a Leinster person given Galway been in Leinster for so long <laughs> um, up up here it's a hurl it, it may be a, hurl. a hurly in Munster is it hurling is, it? is that what it's called hurling yeah it's a hurl yeah, yeah it's a hurl yeah the, we're it's going to alienate a lot of people. Like, yeah, it's not really. called it's not called footy ball. It's foot <laughs> ball, right? <laughs> so like, should I mean, so like, so it's, yeah. it's a hurdle. Sorry, like, I'm I'm happy to alienate away. Um, even had yeah. one guy tweet. I think it was like late on Saturday night, so he probably had a few beers. It was like you you can't host a hurling pod if you call a hurly a hurl. <laughs> no. Is there anybody in off the ball that could go back there over the twenty podcast and just see whose name is mentioned more, Tony Kelly or Mikey Butler? I reckon Mikey oh. Butler's up there. I'm doing my best for him here. Close. It's almost, it's almost like someone has a bet on to see how many times the convention is there. <laughs> well, he's definitely getting the all-star through, uh, through persistence anyway. Yes, <laughs> yes. The Paul Murphy yeah. fan club has helped I'll this get case him on massively. There. 
the thing about it is uh, Mikey Butler is from Kilkenny um, I put up a quick video clip of Brian Cody a couple of years ago confirming that in Kilkenny it's called a hurl and not a hurley I think that should probably settle the debate if we're going to argue around him being a hurl carrier for Kilkenny but um, that was a bit of fun at the weekend what wasn't fun in Kilkenny was Nolan Park yesterday as an Offaly fan Offaly the better team against Tipperary for 55 minutes probably during the game uh, we're quite comfortable six points up at half time looked a little bit nervy as they got into those last five minutes but we're five points up at a point when substitute Carl Robinson looks like he's in on goal he's about to round the goalkeeper gets a hurl thrown at him by Damien Corbett which hits him in the helmet he goes down it's decided by the officials that it was just outside the penalty area as opposed to being inside it so the punishment is a red card and a free the free gets tipped over but Tipperary then rally after that it's amazing how that goal not going in was almost the winning of the game for Tipperary they eked away at the lead and to Tipperary's credit scale you were on the sideline with Galway in the semi-final where Tipperary produced a Mm -hmm. crazy finish to the game Uh, they finished strongly both in normal time and in extra time against Clare in the Munster final it was Paddy McCormick who popped over a free that time uh, to bring the game to penalties at the Gaelic grounds in the Munster final so I don't think it's a coincidence if a team shows that kind of resilience three games in a row if you're able to do that continually that's a sign of character within a group but then the one that's been talked about so much in Offaly at least Niall Furlong the full forward was back doing a bit of defending late in the game he comes out with the ball gets essentially tripped around the ankles goes to ground referee waves away his protest for a free and Tipperary awarding a free with the next play game uh, the ball is put in the melting pot again cleverly tapped up and Paddy McCormick is there to swing his hurl on it it goes into the net very last puck of the game Tipperary win by 117 to 116 be remembered probably more for the two decisions though particularly the one with Niall Furlong coming out to me and I hope this isn't any kind of bias coming through because again I have to give all credit to Tipperary for how they finished the game that had to be a free out yeah you know you just have to look at it for what it was whether whatever stage of the game it was in like that was that was a free out um it's tough. It's it's a tough way to leave it, like you know. But I couldn't see as soon as I saw the free happening, or as soon as I saw the incident happen, I said that's free out. Game is over. And then when it just played on, you know, I just it's 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 a tough way. You don't want to take away from Tipperary's win either. Absolutely, you don't. Um, but you know, you'd have to feel if any other part of the game that foul happens, it's a free out. So for the fact that it it, it hinged on that, it's a tough. I suppose a tough pill maybe to swallow for the Offaly lads this morning. That you know, that's a lot of it where it hinged on. Yeah, what summed it up was Schlievenamon was due to play and it's tough for any Kilkenny groundsman to probably have to play Schlievenamon inside Nolan Park but the Offaly Rover actually played initially before it played after the game I think it must have been set up on the CD good to go uh, given the way the game was going maybe that sums up uh, how the end of the game was played but I don't know it'll be no consolation to them now uh, Leo O'Connor the Offaly manager said after the game that he was part of a Limerick team that were five points up against Offaly in the 94 senior final and saw it ripped away from them so he knows that feeling and he's saying the main thing for them is to stay around for 20s and to build through to senior level but an incredible occasion yesterday James I know you were up at Crow Park so you would only mm-hmm. kind of keep an eye on it on stream or on the highlights but yep. 20 odd thousand people in there um, it probably said a lot for having a standalone final in a different venue terrific standard of hurling from primarily 16 and 17 year olds at the weekend an incredible spectacle of a final even if some of the talk is about the controversy at the end of it yeah and I think for, for the players themselves um, they'll remember the occasion as much as they'll remember the result obviously the result hurts for some and it's great for others but to be able to be part of a spectacle where you you draw in a crowd of 27,000 people into a stadium of the the like of Northern Park let's say for 17 year olds for kids as I keep saying um, it's tremendous like and I, <clears throat> I would be I would be a critic for saying that the minors shouldn't be they should be before the senior games why, why was that changed uh, but then when you look at this standalone game and it produced that kind of crowd it's justified um, but like what, what a game I think from Offaly's perspective yes they're devastated but and we, the word we always use the minors is development and how many can, of these guys can you bring forward from, from this uh, this group onto the 20s and I think Offaly can st- stand back and say we can potentially bring a lot of these guys here and I know the Sunday game last night highlighted you know, the corner forward screeny, but like like I have to, I have to mention him. I just have to because like he is a silky class hurler. So like when when the Offaly supporters, I know they go home for devastation, as I said, right? But they're looking at the, at the type of hurler they're, they're producing, whether it be you know him or Raven or whatever, they've got guys who they, who bode well for the future. So they need to just keep investing in them. So whatever is happening in Offaly over the last couple of years, whether it's under Michael Dignan's stewardship or it's the the way they're expanding facilities or they're bringing in certain people over the teams, they're doing things right. You know what I mean? So. It's just a question of keep doing it, <laughs> you know, keep doing it, and persistence is key, and you can get back to the top because they're doing it in both football and hurling. It has to be said. So credit to them, like, but but like you said about the Tipperary team, 
like that's not just coincidence the three games in a row they produced the what would you, you class as the heroic teams that's a trait of a team and that's a great trait and that's built into them so again the more than Offaly's development this is huge for Tipperary and they've got a number of guys that they can bring forward for the next couple of years so look both teams class class spectacle and um, credit to both yeah, I, it's one thing, James. I don't mean to totally kind of single out individuals, <coughs> but there are players in both teams who look really promising. Um, Delaney, full forward for Tipperary, was actually really well managed yesterday, but having watched him throughout the championship, he's like he's a serious player coming through. Like, Screeny in hand, the two Offaly corner forwards should probably make it. Dan Ravenhill should probably make it at senior level, the Offaly captain, and there's a few others who'll have aspirations, the Kavanagh brothers. But Delaney, their full forward, is a serious operator. Yeah, he's cla- he is class. Like he rattled, I think, off memory six from play against us in the semi final. But like he was, as I said, he was marshaled pretty okay. So I think he got. Now I'm up to correction. Now he got one, maybe two yesterday. So like he I double check. I think he got one point from play. Was it one? Um, but like again, okay, regardless of score, just put that aside for the minute. Like we're we're talking about Tony Kelly not scoring from play, <laughs> so that doesn't justify Ender Tall or even paint any kind of picture. But he is class. Delaney's deadly. But I I really like. I know everyone will point to the forwards and then say. Like the forwards get all the credit generally because they, they do all the scoring, but like they're, they're number five, Sam O'Farrell. Mm. Like from watching him in the, in the Munster final to watching him in person below the, the gate grounds to watch him yesterday, albeit only the second half, excuse me, um, he's a class act too. Like, so he's, he's a, a chip off the old block and comes to Tipperary, like a silky hurler, tough as well, and, and, and very skillful. Like, so again, as I said to you, they've got guys all over the pitch on both sets of teams. A hand, hand's a nice hurler too. Again, these guys have developed, they're small, they're light. You know, they're only, they've only got a bit of a frame at the moment. So they will build, they'll get into conditioning programs now. And over the next three, four years, they'll pack on six, seven kilos and turn into right hurlers, get introductions into senior hurling club. And then who knows where it'll take them. Yeah, I like, um, again, Sam O'Farrell, Paul Kieran Foley, yeah. Adam Daly, two midfielders, Tipperary, really good. Um, Offaly's fullback, James Mann, had a serious game on Tom Delaney, who was Tipperary's danger man going into the game. So going to be intriguing to kind of watch some of these young lads and see how they uh, develop in the coming years. But uh, it was good to see Adam Screeny get a bit of um, bit of a big up on the Sunday game with some of the scores he took, particularly a couple yeah. over by the sideline last night were really, really good. Um, the other thing I want to chat about, Murph, um, because we're going to do our massive preview of... Kilkenny and Limerick so we're keeping the powder dry a little bit about those matchups for next week another road show is it? I don't know there could well be another road show I don't Langtons, know if we're, uh, are we allowed Langtons. back into Limerick after, uh, after your antics falling off the chair I'm not well, I was assaulted in Limerick anyway. that's all I'll say Did you say it was Joe Quaid who pulled the chair behind you or what happened I don't know but all I'll say is my back is in the same sense <laughs> I was saying you must have a spirit level in your elbow or something like that the fact that just instinctively the hand just corrected itself as you were going down <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's an autocorrection yeah, spirit exactly, level yeah. somewhere in that arm yeah. and I watched back the video a hundred times and I watched you two uh, I have to say you two pricks right and all you did not one you gave a hand to give me a hand up right you just started clapping your hands putting your hands uh. to your mouth and laughing Nice. That's fine. <laughs> I thought we were all friends here. Well, yeah. I, I was, was mid conversation with Podge Collins and, and, and Jamie Wall. And next thing, I just heard a crack. I didn't see it when it was happening. So, <laughs> to be fair to me, by the time I turned my head, Will was looking at you. When I turned my head, you were spread eagle on the ground, and there was just sawdust on the ground. And I was like. I don't want to know what happened. This is this is good enough for me. <laughs> I had every faith that Quaid was going to pick you up because Joe Quaid was literally standing behind Scale yeah. as he went down, as you'll see in the video. So yeah. I knew he was safe, but I just couldn't stop laughing when I saw the point was fully intact. That's the first thing I noticed. I looked down to see if the glass had smashed and I saw Scale moving the, the point from his left hand into his right hand, which is absolutely remarkable. If anyone didn't see the footage, by the way, it's up on the uh, OTB Twitter if you want to have a look at it. It's totally oh, yeah, get a look at it, yeah. yeah. Get a look at it there, Will. <laughs> tell, tell everyone to get a look at it. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a good night though, Skell. I actually really enjoyed the roadshow. It was actually um, good chat, good crack to be had throughout the night. Yeah, good guess. I, I, first of all, lovely venue, I have to say. Um, and again, the the whole body of the show was good. I talked to a couple of people after, and I think that the the, the vibe was good. It was positive. There was good content, um, both from a, a kind of a, a seriousness analysis side to to a bit of crack. So again, it bodes well for the future. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, look, I'm dying to go out. We'll do another roadshow very soon. Indeed, the uh, football roadshows are on over the next while. So keep an eye on the oh, OTB Twitter, particularly the one in Kerry uh, that's taking place later this week ahead of Dublin and Kerry this weekend. And we'll see if we've uh, news about more on the hurling very soon. Paul, I was going to ask you about Kieran Kingston, though, uh, because a couple of weeks ago, it seemed the Cork had offered another term to Kieran Kingston. And then he announces pretty much straight after the semi final last evening that he wouldn't be staying on for another term. So his three years were up. Effectively, he's been involved in eight of the last 10 years, whether it's the two spells as a manager, a year he did as a coach and a year he did as a selector within that period too. He's decided time for him to walk away. 
doesn't seem that too many Cork people are entirely surprised, but its entire backroom team are leaving. So it's a clean sweep within Cork coming in. Were you surprised to see Kieran Kingston leave at this stage? Um, well, we talked about it maybe two weeks ago or three weeks ago, um, where we were debating would he go or wouldn't he go. Um, so obviously the question was up in the air there, would he or wouldn't he. But um, I kind of, look, once these things kind of get out there and word is out that there's a hint that someone may go, I think generally they usually do after that because it's it's obviously, you know, there's no there's no smoke without fire. So potentially there's some sort of word that people in Cork presumed he was going to go. But, you know, I think Kieran Kingston has done, you know, I've always liked him as a manager. I've liked him in interviews after games. I just think he's a very honest kind of a manager. Um, I think he's given a really genuine crack and he's had to make some really hard decisions. No more than having his, you know, having Shane there in the team, not starting and playing him and just, you know, being straight down the line and making calls like that so look get them to an all and last year as well I think anytime I've been critical of, of Cork it's been more so you know on the team their players in terms of you know going from game to game really good one day and then you know flat the next day in terms of commitment and different things so but in terms of Kieran Kingston I just you know I, I think he was he has been a great manager um there's a, I'm a little bit surprised he's going all right but I do think it was leaning that way and there was a little bit of chat that you know he's he's done his three years now you know he mightn't want or feel he needs to do another year um, and go to the well and you know go for another year with Cork so um, I'm not overly surprised because like I said once you heard the chat was out there you kind of for me anyway that indicates that look there's something coming down the tracks here now and the time is up and he's just going to move on but I was I was surprised he did it last night it seemed like a kind of a you know sometimes managers will leave it maybe a few weeks maybe he's affording Cork a bit more time to kind of go out there while maybe teams aren't on the market looking for managers I don't know but um, I, do, I wasn't expecting it last night anyway definitely not I thought maybe after the final he might announce it but um, look it's it's uh, I suppose for Cork to have a clean sweep now is an opportunity now again to I suppose press the reset button and maybe see I saw a few names bandied around us internally who might take over so it'll be interesting times for Cork to see what the next phase is and who steps into the breach there yeah James the names internally particularly Pat Mulcahy Ben O'Connor Noel Furlongs have mentioned too uh, whether it's a combination of two of the three or one and potentially some of the others could come in as part of the management team they're the three who are being kind of strongly mentioned currently mm-hmm. it would seem to me given Cork's tradition they stay inside despite the fact that you've got Eddie Brennan available you've got Davy Fitzgerald available you know, guys who would be external candidates for the role it seems a truism that Cork go internal every time yeah I think from even from if you're bringing a member of backroom team to a coach then they might range outside but from in a managerial position there's counties like you know, tip and cork that rarely Kikini, did, I don't remember the last time Kikini had a manager for Cody, but they rarely go outside the county, you know. So it'll definitely be an appointment from within. I think the cork people would much rather that anyway themselves, you know. There's there's definitely enough, you know, expertise, experience, like, and there probably is a lot of willingness too when you see the, 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 the squad that cork have at the moment and the potential that they can produce to take over the job. Uh, who takes it over? Not a clue. Like, your guess is as good as mine. I don't know many people. You know, beyond the names you've mentioned there so it'll be an interesting uh, place to or thing to watch to see who uh, who puts the name forward and if someone external puts the name forward you know Scal- where I'm pointing at now <laughs> I'm going to give you the one last question before you get ready for your job interview with Cork because you have to go and hurl against Ballier in a challenge game so we'll make sure that you get off in time for that I'm sure um, given your comments about Tony Kelly earlier they won't try and sling a few goals past you this evening in that challenge game S Falkland 95 and we'll let Murph respond to this next week because we'll be doing our big preview S. Falkins asked, what would Kilkenny have to do to beat Limerick in the final? Ooh, that's a tasty one now. Mm. What did they have to do? Simple question to score more than them. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's why I guess the big books, kids. How will they go about that? Um, I think I think the best template to date to beat Limerick, although they didn't do it right, was produced yesterday, especially in Crow Park. Uh, again, like we would have said it a lot in the podcast about how Tor Park is an entirely different arena to that of Acusey Park, Athorus, etc. When you're taking on Limerick, it's a different gauntlet entirely. And I think that uh, you have to do stick to themselves, don't get me wrong, and show to themselves the way they play, but also look at the way that, that Galway kind of matched up against Limerick, uh, went after their puck out, left certain lads isolated in their full back line, let them have the ball, went man to man, and the way the, the crowd in the middle third, and try sort of get all that and mix in with their own, their own style. Um, you ha- again <clears throat> you're going to have to reproduce the kind of effectiveness the Galway backs had on the Limerick forwards so Limerick or Kikini want to have four starting Limerick forwards going off again the next day do you know what I mean they want to, to kind of nullify all that effect because again that's what you have to do to beat them and I know it's very easy for me to say that and go just that's going to be hard to repeat that just has to be done 
that has to be done and you're going to have to shoot more than 50% let go with it and I think when you look at Kenny's efficiency which is the highest of the weekend 72% up around those numbers Paul you keep that under your hat and we'll talk about it in a lot more detail next week <laughs> yeah, lads give him time to prepare yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah I'm sure he'll, <laughs> he'll be making a very good argument now to, to give Paul his credit right and this is twice now we're giving him credit for Mikey Butler we're giving him credit for something else as well uh, he found a clip of us back about what three four weeks ago sneering away at the idea of Kilkenny coming through the All-Ireland semi-final and qualifying for a final how wrong we were and Paul hold has on, stuck to his guns hold on that clip now was again that's a question of interpretation now okay so. so episode 17 Skell go back and have a look there on, I remembered let's, it let's be honest we all thought Clare were yeah. going to win this, this was before quarterfinal stage this isn't mm. actually before semi-final stage so this is before the quarterfinals you were laughing as to oh there's no way Kilkenny will be in the final there's no way no way <laughs> well see hold on a second now you, oh, fuck, I see. How, much time, how much time do we have did you honestly believe right, after Leinster they'd be in the final regardless of Anton well sure not only did I believe it I explained how they were going to go about doing it so I, I did believe that they were going to So you rang Cody and said, Brian, this is what you do now. This is what you do, right? This is how we're going to do it. Don't have to ring him. I, t- I put my ideas up here every week and Brian just listens to <laughs> He listens to it. That's exactly what it is. And one word answer before we go. Art Kinney going to be at Limerick? Yeah. Oh, I like it. I like it a lot. Stick that your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> do, you, do you want a bit of praise, Skell, before we leave? This is like Christmas Eve or something at the moment. Well, I, don't, I don't get it at home anyway, so go on, give it to me. <laughs> James Skell, the top fantasy hurling player of the semi-final round 310 points I'll give you credit unbelievable stuff yeah when, actually, the cream would always come to the top let's <laughs> go on scale who did you put in that did, that did the damage because neither of us made transfers and we're miles behind no. so we're we're behind team scale as a group now for the rest of this so yeah. I made I made good, but think see this is it's, it's see that this is your problem now this is your issue right you were planning last Saturday I was planning weeks in advance right I I, I took a transfer and put Glenn as my captain knowing that he'll come good right didn't think he'd come good against Galway now, but I didn't know that he'd come good, right? I put in Keane Kinney, I put in Jim Ryan, and I put in Declan Hennon on top of an already flying squad. So yeah, three ten, and we're going for the juggler again next week or two weeks. So Are you keeping Galan captain for the final? Hundred percent. Hundred percent, yeah. Because I, I the only options of captaincy really is put is to do Galan or do TJ. Or TJ, yeah. Yeah, and I just think that Oh, I won't get to now. Get to next week, right? Yeah, you know, save all that for next Glenn week. That's going to be captain's. that's going to be episode twenty-one. It's going to be our bumper preview of the final. Really looking forward to that next week. James, Paul, thanks a million as always. Sounds good. Good luck.